right about now I hear them cheering back there every, every week. I'm glad they're having a good time, aren't you? Well, mo- most of them, anyway. <laughs> you ever heard of Florence Chadwick? Anyone? Ever heard of Florence Chadwick? You probably have, actually. just don't remember her name. She, she became famous because she is the first woman to swim across the English Channel both ways. Okay? In 1952, she decided to set out to, to break another record, attempting to swim the 26 miles from Catalina Island to the California coastline. Island to the beach. Surrounded by small boats to help her if uh, she got in trouble and needed to be pulled out. Also, to scare the sharks away. And apparently, they even had to shoot guns at sharks to keep them away from her while she was swimming. Go figure that. Anyway, so she, she set out. But after about 15 hours, a thick fog set in. And as she swam, she was exhausted. She was smothered by the fog. She couldn't tell how long she'd been swimming for. She began to doubt her ability to finish. She'd never quit before, but she told her mom, who was in one of the nearby boats, that she didn't think she was going to make it. She thought she was going to need to be pulled out. She swam for another hour before she gave in and asked to be pulled out. She was unable to see how far she had gone. She was unable to finish, primarily because of the fog. But as she sat in the boat, she realized within a few minutes that she'd actually quit just one mile short of the coastline. And afterwards she said, if I'd just been able to see the coastline, I would have been able to keep going. Well, that wasn't the final swim for her. Two months later, she tried again. This time it was different. It was the same, you know, cold water, same nasty sharks, same fog set in. But what was different this time? Her vision. She not only made it, she actually broke records that men had set in this swim from Catalina Island to the California coast. She made it, she said, in spite of the thick fog, because she kept a mental image of the shoreline in her mind as she swam. It was her vision of that shoreline that pierced the fog. Now here's the connection. In this life of following Jesus, sometimes things can get pretty foggy, right? Things can get pretty foggy. And when that fog sets in, it's easy for us to lose sight of, why are we swimming anyway? And you get looking around you and the only thing you can see is the shark that's nearby. And you kind of lose sight of where you're going and you wonder if you can make it and you're exhausted and you're tired. And we can be very tempted to give up. And Jesus understands this. You know, last, year, last week we, we picked up again on the Gospel of Mark. In the fall, we spent a few months uh, getting into this Gospel of Mark, this story about Jesus. It's the uh, second book in the New Testament. We got into it, and, and then we picked it up again last week, and, and, and we began to hear Jesus teach about this kingdom. You see, in the first part of the book that we looked at in the fall, Jesus announced that his kingdom has come, and he's the king leading this kingdom. And we began to see what the kingdom was like as Jesus went around doing what? Bringing the good news to people, releasing them from their captivity to the evil one, bringing freedom to them as he healed their bodies, letting them know that God had returned in Jesus and and that that, that there was a new life ahead, there was a new thing going on, and, and people were beginning to get a glimpse that they hadn't been forgotten. This is good news. But here, Jesus begins to sit down and teach them 
about what this kingdom is like so they can understand what God is doing. And he opened up with the famous story about the farmer and the four soils, which is all about being receptive to Jesus. And, and so we explored ways last week that we can increase our spiritual receptivity to Jesus. When we take him at his word, when we're applying his word to our life, it's like Jesus is able to get the plow into the hardened soil. He's able to increase the depth of our root system. He's able to weed out the distractions and the concerns that get in the way of us really hearing Jesus and really following him. And our goal, our hope, our desire is that we would be good soil, you know, fertile soil, receptive to Jesus and producing his kingdom ways in our lives so that what's happening out there, as it were, when they see Jesus doing that for others, we really realize we're part of that. We're experiencing that, but we're also part of that, what Jesus is doing in the world. So the point of that first story, or parable as it's called in the Bible, is is that people who are receptive to Jesus experience tremendous growth in their lives. People who are receptive to Jesus experience tremendous growth in their lives. Or maybe a simpler way of putting it is that receptive hearts bear fantastic fruit. That's what we saw. In this good soil, there was this abundant harvest. But here's the challenge for us. What about when we are receptive to Jesus? What about when we are taking him at his word? What about when we're applying his teaching to our lives, but things seem really slow to change? When things seem like they're not growing very much. And we ask Jesus to help us deal with maybe bitterness or anger or maybe lust or greed, and yet we seem to keep coming back to that same struggle time after time. You know, what about that? Well, this farmer in this soil story promises us that good soil produces good results. Abundant fruit, you know, tremendous harvest, massive yield. That's what we see in this. But sometimes, right in the middle of the fog, to just switch metaphors for a second, right in the middle of the fog, we begin to wonder if any of that's ever going to happen. You know, how do we keep from being discouraged when we feel like we are responding to Jesus, but things don't seem to change quite as fast or as dramatically as we had hoped. Knowing how difficult and how slow kingdom growth really can be, especially at the start, Jesus gives us two short farming stories. They, they follow up on the story he's already told, and they're told to encourage us to keep on following, to keep on obeying, to keep responding, even when growth seems minimal and we feel like giving up. These two farming stories tell us that When we're receptive to Jesus and when we apply his teaching to our lives, we may not see the change right away, but we will see it eventually. If we keep applying his teaching to our relationships, if we keep trusting the power of the seed of God's word in our lives, we will eventually experience exponential kingdom growth in our lives. And I I know these stories will be an encouragement to you. They've been an encouragement to me but particularly if you are in a place today where you're, you're discouraged by slow change somewhere. You're, you're discouraged by minimal growth. Maybe growth that you think should be happening in your life by now. Or you, maybe your family or maybe your marriage. Maybe, maybe our church. Or perhaps just in yourself as you wrestle with addictions or habits. Or even as you just simply seek to follow Jesus in regular life. So let's walk through these two stories together. They're found in Mark chapter 4. If you have a Bible, they're verse 26 to 34. But, but as you do, as we walk through these stories, remember kind of the bottom line here is this. 
responding to Jesus will produce exponential kingdom growth in our lives eventually. (laughs) You hear that? Responding to Jesus will produce exponential kingdom growth in our lives eventually. It's that eventually part that story number one deals with. So let's dig into it. Jesus also said, this is following up on the big sower parable, Jesus also said, the kingdom of God is like a farmer. Next slide. Oh, there he is. Anyone recognize that farmer? You can trust that farmer too, but the kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground. Night and day while he's asleep or awake, and I tried to think maybe I could get a picture of Drew with his feet up in a hammock, you know, just to illustrate this, send him out for a photo shoot or something, but, you know, you you get the picture. I'm sure he rests every once in a while. Night and day while he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows, but he does not understand how it happens. The earth produces the crops on its own. First, a leaf blade pushes through, then the heads of wheat are formed, and finally the grain ripens. And as soon as the grain is ready, the farmer comes and harvests it with a sickle or a slother or a combine or something. For the harvest time has come. What do we hear in this story? Good seed planted in good soil grows. That's what we hear. In some ways, it's not much different than that fourth soil, that good soil in the sower parable, in that first big parable. But this one, this story of Jesus hones in on how it happens. The seed grows because that's what it's designed to do. Growth is natural. Growth is expected. But while it's happening, especially in that first while, it's mysterious and it's hidden from our eyes. We, we don't always know what's going on down there, but we plant the seed of Jesus or we receive the seed of Jesus into our lives and we trust that there's a dynamic potential in the seed that has been planted in fertile soil and that it will do its God-designed thing. Now, every spring after you plant your garden, most of you do, you feel pretty good because you planted that garden, you step back and survey, what? What do you see? A big patch of dirt. Now, there might be some evidence that you were there, some sort of rows, roughly, and, and then the ultimate expression of hope, the stake at the end with the package stuck over top of it, right? Right? But really, you've put the seed in the soil, and you feel pretty good. You're not, you don't walk in the house and start worrying about the seed, do you? I mean, really? Maybe it's torrential rains outside or something. But, but, but on, on average, you know, all things considered good, you put the seed in the soil and you go what? Celebrate, right? Awesome. Seeding time's done. Don't even have to start weeding yet. Uh, seeding time's done. You feel, you feel great. But really, it's just a big patch of dirt. But because you trust the seed, you know it's going to grow. Now, I know that not all seed is trustworthy. I get that. Some, some seeds do lack the potential. They don't, they don't have the, the, the germination record. Last summer, Ethan was all set up to grow some great pumpkins. So he carefully hilled up you know, four different hills, and he put, I think, around five seeds in each, or maybe it was five hills with four seeds. I don't know. Um, I'm not sure what it was, but only one of the 20 seeds came up. One. It's pretty disappointing. Um, but that one little pumpkin plant managed to actually produce some fine little pumpkins, and, but it was nothing near what was expected, you understand. It was pretty, pretty disappointing because there was something wrong with the seed or the soil or the farmer. But in, in, the, in the case of this, I think there was something wrong with the seed. You know, everything else in the garden grew, but the pumpkins didn't. Sometimes when the growth that we expect 
the growth that we're hoping for, the results we're looking for, don't happen as soon as we'd hoped or maybe the way that we'd hoped, we begin to wonder, maybe the seed's bad, right? We begin to wonder about Jesus' teaching. I mean, maybe it really doesn't work. We've been trying to follow the teachings of Jesus, but we don't seem to be making much headway. I mean, I, I tried to love my wife over the weekend, like Jesus said, but my, 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 my marriage is still struggling. Or I, I tried to do a couple things with my kids. Okay, I'm being slightly sarcastic, but do you understand what I'm saying? As we start to apply the teaching, we maybe don't see the response, and we don't see the results as fast as we would like. We can feel discouraged, and, well, we actually did just end up ripping up all those places because there was nothing growing there, but we tempted to do that, right? Maybe a little early. We're tempted to say, ah, let's just plow everything up and try something else. Let's try the latest advice off the self-help shelf or, or the, the latest New Age guru. I mean, maybe they got something to say that'll help me. And we give up on the teachings of Jesus. You know, maybe Jesus' words about loving and forgiving doesn't really work in reality because, you know, my relationship with my mother, my brother, my sister, my father, um, it doesn't seem to be getting much better now that I've forgiven them or I'm trying to forgive them. Or maybe, maybe his call for us to reach out to our neighbors in love is just a suggestion because, you know what, I took a meal over to my neighbor the other day and now they think I'm just strange. Right? Or, or maybe, maybe staying married is just a guideline instead of a covenant. Because when I said for better or for worse, I didn't know how worse it could get. Worser it could get. Whatever. More worse. Um, or maybe becoming a church that unchurched people love to come to is just the pie in the sky stuff. Because, you know, I'm getting uncomfortable with some of the changes that are being made. And I kind of like things to just stay comfortable for me. I don't know, wherever you're at, the story of Jesus tells us something very, very important. And that is this. While growth is natural and growth is expected, growth takes time. Kingdom growth takes time. But responding to Jesus will produce exponential kingdom growth in our lives eventually. And this eventually can be very hard, right? This time can be very difficult. And it's at this point that we have to trust, right? That's where the patient trust needs to kick in, where we trust that God's kingdom seed has been planted deep and that there's some hidden, mysterious work going on, often beneath the soil. And when we're tempted to give up, we have to trust the goodness of the seed. We have to trust Farmer Jesus and his choice crop. And we need to keep responding to Jesus and keep taking him at his word and keep doing what he said. We need to keep loving that difficult friend and forgiving that irritating neighbor and keep fighting that poisonous addiction, keep putting God's word into our minds, keep centering our identity on the fact that we're loved children of God, keep letting Jesus pull the weeds of wealth and worry, that's last week's wealth and worry from our lives. We need to keep responding to Jesus and trust him. Because if we do that, if we will trust him, growth will happen. He promises it. He promises this growth that though it may take a while, it will come. And so you can add to that eventually the word inevitably. Eventually, but inevitably. If we respond to Jesus, we will experience exponential kingdom growth in our lives. You could sum up that whole first story with eventually, but inevitably. It will happen. Jesus promises it. The next parable Jesus tells kind of expands a bit further and tells us what kind of growth we can eventually but inevitably expect. And it's that word, exponential. That the kind of growth we can expect is beyond what we would have imagined based on what was put in the ground. 
And so Jesus says this, how can I describe the kingdom of God? What story should I use to illustrate it? It's like a mustard seed planted in the ground. It's the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. It grows long branches and birds can make nests in its shade. The kingdom of God is like a tiny mustard seed. It's small, it's fragile, it's often unnoticed, and yet within this dynamic seed lies the power to transform that's exponentially larger than you and I could ever imagine. The whole point of this story, the whole point of this little parable is the contrast between what is so small and the fact that something so small contains something so unbelievably grand that has a future right within that tiny seed that as God plants that in good soil, it grows to something that you and I never would have looked for. That that's what the kingdom of God is like as you and I, as we as a community, respond to Jesus. Not only can we trust that the seed of God's kingdom will grow in our lives, we can trust it to grow in surprising, unexpected ways. And we need to hear this because we often settle. You know, when things are bad, we want change. But often when change comes, it comes up to a certain point where we've kind of reached status quo. We're kind of okay with things. Things are all right. And we settle right there. We settle for far less than what God imagines for us, what God wants to do in our lives. So we, we, we have a marriage crisis and then things get a bit better and we settle for a marriage that functions instead of flourishes. God wants your marriage to flourish, not just function. We're happy to see our church grow a little when actually what God wants is to see people from this valley streaming into the church, streaming into the churches across this valley so that they're exploding with growth. That is God's desire. You know, we're thrilled to see people begin to find Jesus and our friends begin to find Jesus when Jesus longs for them to not only be, not only be finding him, but to be taught and empowered and, and sent into leadership in his mission. That's Jesus' vision for many of the people around us in our lives. We think Jesus has a vision for you just to stop a few destructive patterns or habits in your life because they're weighing you down, they're causing problems in your relationships, which they are, and because he loves you, he wants you to stop that. But his vision for you is so much greater than stopping a few things. That's like bottom rung. His desire for you is for you to experience a whole new way of living, a whole new set of life patterns, a whole new way of engaging him and his kingdom and his life in you and through you. We can't settle for less than that. See where this is going? As we respond to Jesus, Jesus will grow us up in unimaginable ways. And the kind of growth that Jesus is planning for you, the kind of growth he envisions for your life and your relationships and your future and your vocation, it staggers the imagination. It pushes all the limits and all the barriers that we would have said, well, here's as far as I can grow, or here's as far as this marriage can last, or here's as far as this church can go. It pushes through all those things and takes us into surprising, unexpected places because this is a good farmer who planted good seed in good soil. So put these two parables together and what do we have? This is Jesus speaking to us. Jesus says, I've got an unimaginable plan for you, for your marriage, for your church, for your life. You're going to become more than you could ever have expected, more than you could have ever dreamed, but you need to trust me. You need to trust my word. You need to keep following me. You need to keep letting me do a deep work in you. If you will do that, Jesus says, if you will do that, I promise that you will not only grow a kingdom crop, but that this kingdom crop will blow all of your puny expectations away. 
It'll be a bumper crop for the record books. You know, the kind of, the kind of year where you just stop counting the harvest because it's too big. The, the kingdom crop will be this work of God for the sake of your life, for the sake of your marriage, for the sake of your kids, your church, your community. But what we find out is that this happening is that this kingdom crop that God desires is not only a work of God in you and for you and for us, but through us for this valley, through us for the world. That what God desires to grow in us has the potential. Because do we feel small sometimes? Do we as a church feel small? Does Preston feel small? Does this valley feel small? Well, read the parable again. What God longs to do through a really tiny group of people. He's done it before, by the way. He could do it again. He longs to do something in us that is beyond our imagination. Can you get a picture of what God wants to do? Can you get a glimpse or a vision of what God longs to do in your marriage? Maybe you're far, far away from that, but can you begin to get a glimpse of what that might look like in your life, in your relationship with your kids, in your vocation, in your identity? Can you begin to glimpse the kind of transformation that God wants to make in your mind, in your heart, in your purpose in life? I think we can. We won't know it all, of course, but we can begin to get a sense of of what God actually wants to do in us and at least sense that it's bigger than we could imagine as we let the words of Jesus penetrate our hearts and our soil, our soul. As we let the Bible and God's vision for the world begin to shape our vision of reality, we can begin to get a vision for what God really wants to do in us and through us. So that when we get foggy, when it gets foggy outside and the sharks are snapping, when we get weary and we want to give up, we've got a picture of the coastline that Jesus has given us of what he longs to do in us, what he longs to do in our lives, what he longs to do in our church and through us. We've got a vision of that. It may not be the full vision, but we've got a glimpse of it at least through the fog. And we hold on to that vision, knowing that this is Jesus we're talking about. And his seed is powerful. And he will produce exponential kingdom growth in our lives as we respond to him. And we'll be blown away by the results. So, what kind of questions do you have? (laughs) There's a sharp turn. This is a challenge for us, I think. And I don't know. What are you thinking? Uh, Maybe questions, maybe comments. But, but how does this stir in your heart? Maybe as you think about an area of discursion, you know, let's uh, uh, keep it um, uh, confidential here. Maybe don't, don't start talking about your house or something uh, in, in this context, whether they're here or not. Um, uh, or, or, or some, we're going to be careful with that. But just to begin to talk about areas that you may be discouraged by. Maybe you want to be a better witness for Jesus. And you realize, this is an area I need to grow in, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with that. Or, or, or maybe, it's, maybe it's an area where you know you, you need to serve. Or maybe even on the subject of giving, where you, you need to give sacrifice. I don't know what, what the area is in your life, but as you've heard this or thought about this or hear these two stories of Jesus, how is it stimulating or challenging or what kind of questions do you have? Al has a microphone, so uh, we'd like you to ask the question into the microphone so that we all can hear it and those who listen to the recording can hear it. Um, so don't make that, don't let that uh, make you too shy. Uh, but do you have any questions or comments that you'd like to make in response to, to this today? Wow, I was that good, eh? <laughs> <laughs> I know that's not true. 
That's good. That's good. So what can we do? What can we do in response to this? I know you have questions, and it's all right that we didn't ask them this morning. That's fine. Or I know you have comments. I know you're thinking this through. So my question is for us, what can we do? I think we can do three things. First of all, we can identify the area in our lives. And I know, I know uh, many of us are sitting here and we have identified that area. We, we know what it is. Maybe it's a relationship with a kid who's long gone from home. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your relationship with your little kids in your home. <laughs> and you're, you're feeling like, man, I'm taking care of these kids every day and I, I feel discouraged. Uh, maybe it's your spiritual life. Uh, maybe it's some struggle with an addiction or a habit. I don't know what it is for you, but identify that area in your life where you feel frustrated, where you feel discouraged, where you feel like giving up. So if you've identified that area, then the next thing is to, to begin to ask God to give you His vision for you. His vision for your marriage. His, his vision for the way that you use your gifts in community. His, his vision for your vocation. Your identity. Let him begin to tell you and shape that coastline. Let him give you a glimpse of this unimaginable bounty that he wants to bring into your life. So ask God for that vision. That might take a while. That doesn't just come by, you know, well, it could, I guess, but it doesn't usually come just blink of an eye. This comes as we, as we come back to it, as we ask God for his vision, as we search the scripture, as we read over the stories of Jesus, and as we begin to let God's word into our heart and mind and let him shape that vision for us. And then as we've identified the area, and as we have asked God for his vision, then what do we need to do? We need to pray for the courage to trust. That kind of patient trust that says, Jesus, I'm going to keep responding to you. I'm going to keep getting in. I'm going to keep letting God's word into my heart. I'm going to read that Bible even though I don't understand what it's saying to me. I'm going to get with a group of friends. I'm going to read that Bible even though we may not understand what it's saying. I'm going to start putting it into practice. And I need the courage to trust you. That your seed is good. That you're a good farmer. That you're doing good things. And that as I respond to you, as we respond to you, you will produce exponential kingdom growth in our lives. You've guaranteed it. And though it may take a while, it will happen. And when it happens, it will be beyond what we could have imagined. Now some of us here today, we're maybe in a really discouraging place. And I want to invite you, the worship team is actually going to come and lead us in a song. Be the center. It's an appropriate song. As we respond to Jesus saying, Jesus, we want you to be the center of our lives. That's what this is all about. And as they sing this song, if you would like to receive prayer, just you need some encouragement. You, you felt like giving up. The, the, the skies got pretty foggy and you, you don't know if you can keep going. If you're, if you're in that place in your life, or if you'd like to just receive prayer for anything, it is an open invite. But particularly if you're in a place where you, you, you feel like you just need to receive prayer because you felt discouraged. I want to invite you to meet me right over there. And I'm going to pray with you while they sing. And guess what? I already coached them. They're just going to keep singing that song until we're done praying for people. And all of you who are sitting there are going to keep singing the song with them. And it'll be a great... And if you sing for 10, 12, 15 minutes, well, so be it, right? That we're going to respond to Jesus in this way. So...
The invitation is there. Mimi, if you could come with your team and lead. Go ahead, Joel. Just stand up and walk and she'll get it. Yep. Um, and then uh, you're invited to come and receive prayer. As they come, let me just pray for you as we respond in prayer. Lord, we're thankful for the opportunity we have to respond to you. And Jesus, for those who are here today who really need to receive from you an encouraging word, pray that they would have the courage to trust you and even to come forward and receive prayer. This is a place where there's no shame, where we can come and receive from you. We are all in need of you, as we sang earlier. May our lives and our hearts and our minds be centered on you now as we respond to you. In your name we pray. Amen.